Well, turning your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 10, we're continuing, of course, our study of the nation of Israel. We're seeing it through the eyes of David. When you think about it, we went back in 1 Samuel, we saw Samuel and then Saul, the first king. And now 2 Kings is mostly, uh, excuse me, 2 Samuel is mostly about David. And he's a very special man, a man after God's own heart. He's a great leader, making an impact for Christ. And we're going to see some things as, as he's pulling the nation together. When you think of David, what kind of comes to your mind? I mean, sometimes we think of David and Goliath, and we say, well, he was just a young guy, but he defeated Goliath. Sometimes we think of the kingdom, where he becomes the leader and the godly man and rules the kingdom. And then sometimes we think of David and Bathsheba and his failure. And so when you look at David's life, he's a lot like us. There's some things we go, wow, that was really good. And there's some things that we go, wow, that was really bad. And so we look at this man and we see some great things there. Uh, David this morning is going to try to do something good. Have you ever done something good that it didn't turn out right, that you thought you were doing something good, but, but it's misunderstood? We're going to see that. It has to do with the, one of the king of the Ammonites, and we'll see how that ties in there. But as we look at our passage this morning, we want to th- think this. We're going to realize that sometimes we'll be misunderstood understood when we try to do something good. And then second, let's talk about we want to understand the importance of teamwork in the church, in the body of Christ. The key to effective ministry is that we work together in teamwork, working together as we use our gifts, talents, and abilities. And we'll see that as we go through it. So there's a lot there in this passage. It's uh, 19 verses. We'll go fairly quickly. It's, it's, a real, it's a fast narrative, and we'll see how it fits. Well, you know, as those of us who have trusted in Christ, not only do we become children of God, but we become his servants. And we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech through us. And we get to live for Christ in this earth. And we get to do a ministry. And what God does is he gives each one of us, each one of us so that we can serve and be used. And, and what we find is this, and it's really amazing, is that we find that we're to use our gifts to equip fellow believers to do the ministry. And I want you to think about that. We do, we use the gifts and talents and abilities that God's given to each one of us, and that is to then help all of us equip one another to do the ministry. We're going to see that this morning in the sense of teamwork when the nation of Israel goes to war, and we're going to see how they fight, how their teamwork is there, and we'll also talk about teamwork and, and the body of Christ functioning together, and we're going to see that. Let's, let's begin, let's sort of think of where we are. David is trying to unite the, unify or unite the nation. He's captured Jerusalem, defeated the Jebusites and captured it, made it the capital. He brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. He's made plans to build the temple for God. If you remember, he said, I want to build the temple for God. God said, you're not going to build the temple for me. Somebody else will build that, but I'm going to do something great for you. A great kingdom is coming through you, David. And then he's defeated most of the surrounding nations and we saw in chapter 8 really a big summary of all the nations that he defeated. This morning we're going to get some details on one of those battles, one of those times when they're fighting against uh, a, a group of Arameans and also the Ammonites. And we're going to see what happened there, how it comes together, and how all those things come about. And we'll see how it ties together. So we're going to look at this this morning, two key things. David seeks to do an act of kindness and is misunderstood And then we'll talk about teamwork, and we'll see how the army fights together to gain the victory. And then we'll see how that ties, how it ties together for us and what applications we can make from this as well. This is sort of the outline of the chapter. David fights the Ammonites. That's the first part. Some other people come in there again. And then he has to fight the Arameans. We'll talk about who they are and how that God, once again, uh, gives the victory. But we're going to see that... The, na- the army fought together, and they had teamwork there, and we'll tie that into us. So let's look at chapter 10. Look at verse 1. It says, Now it happened afterwards that the king of the Ammonites died, and Hanun, his son, 
became king in his place. Now, when it says, now it happened afterwards, most likely it's going back to where David took care of Mephibosheth. If you remember last week, Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan. Jonathan and David were best friends. They had made a deal. Jonathan said, if I die before you, you take care of my kids. David said to Jonathan, if I die before you, you take care of my kids. Well, Jonathan got killed. And when David became the king, David said, we saw it last week, is there anybody left in the family of Saul, the family of Jonathan, that I can show favor? And there was a young guy named, well, when I say young guy, he's actually married, but his name was Mephibosheth. And he, when he was five years old, they dropped him and messed up his legs so he could never walk. And he's been hiding out because normally if you're, if their new king comes into power, the old king's family gets killed. And David calls for him. He expects to die. And David goes just the opposite and says, I'm showing you grace. Because of your father, Jonathan, you're going to be taken care of. You're going to get land. You're going to eat at my table. Everything's going to take, you're going to be taken care of. We saw last week that that's a picture of us, that Mephibosheth was helpless. And because of Jonathan, he got everything. We're helpless, and because of Jesus Christ and our faith in him, we get everything. We become a child of God. We eat at the Lord's table. I mean, it's just amazing. So we saw that last week. And so at the start of chapter 10, he says, now it happened afterwards, I think after these things that David did with, with Mephibosheth, that the king of the Ammonites died, and Hanun, his son, became king in his place. Well, here's what we see. The king of Ammon, the Ammonites, died. His name was Naash. His son became the king. His king was Nahun. And so... They said, yeah, now, let's remind ourselves, uh, the nation of Israel still won. So with this map, I just found this map, and it's got it showed divided. It won't be divided till later, but so it's, that's the nation of Israel. If you remember way down here, are the Edomites, and then here's Moab, Moabites. Then there's the Ammonites. The Arameans are here, and, and also right here, too. That's the kingdom of Aram and Damascus, and that's also the Arameans as well. They're up in here. Down in here is the Philistines. The Amalekites are down here. All of those people that we saw back in chapter 8 that David defeated. Well, we're going to see the, the details on how he defeats these people and these people. And how does it fit and what goes on? And we're going to see the details. And so here's what we find, that the king of the Ammonites died and his son became the king. And we'd say, well, wh why is that so important? We'll look at the next verse. Then David said, I will show kindness to Hanan, the son of Nahash, just as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent some of his servants to console him concerning his father. But when David's servants came to the land of the Ammonites, we're going to stop there. We'll get into the verse in just a second. So David says, you know what I'm going to do? Since uh, the king, you know, the king was, was a good man, and now his son has become the king, and the son's father was always nice to me. So I'm going to send some servants over there to console him and to say, David wanted us to come and say, he's so sorry to hear about your father, and now you become the king, and David wants you to know that he'll be your friend like your, his, your father was his friend. And that's what David is doing. David is doing a good thing. He says, I want to show kindness, and that's what he wants to do. But look what happens in verse 3. The princes of the Ammonites, that means some of the younger rulers, the princes of the Ammonites said to Hanun, who's the king now, their lord, do you think that David is honoring your father because he has sent consolers to you? Has David not sent his servants to you in order to search the city, to spy it out, and to overthrow it? So David sends people and says, we've just come to console you because David wants you to know he was real sorry about your dad. And these young guys come to the king and say, hey, they're not here for that. 
You think they're really coming here to be sorry for your daddy? They've come here to spy it out because they want to conquer the kingdom. They're, they're really your enemies. And so the question is, is David, they, is David honoring? They, they say no. Is David spying? They say yes. Now, let me be honest with you. David is not spying. David is really doing a good thing. David is trying to show kindness to this king because his father died. And David is misunderstood. He's trying to do a good thing, but is accused of doing a bad thing. Have you ever done something that you thought was going to be good and it turned out bad? Have you ever been to somebody and said something and they said, that's ridiculous, don't ever do that. What do you think you're doing? And you said, I was just trying to help. I mean, I know. I have to tell the story. I heard Chuck Swindoll tell the story because it was someone he knew in Dallas who was a lawyer. And the guy was a young lawyer in his mid-30s, and he worked in this big firm. And every year at Thanksgiving, they gave all of the lawyers turkeys. Now, he was a single guy, and he didn't cook or anything. And so every year, they'd give him a turkey, and he'd go, well, thank you. And he wouldn't know what to do with the turkey. All the rest of the lawyers knew that he didn't know what to do with the turkey. So one year they get this joke. They decide they're going to get something, make it cardboard, put some stuff heavy in it, wrap it up, and make it look like a turkey. And so when they gave out all the turkeys, they came and said, here's your turkey. And he went, thank you. And they're all thinking to themselves, he's going to go home and, or he's going to go somewhere and try to open that thing up. It's just going to be cardboard. Well, the guy went out and got on a bus that would take him to the car that he, where he normally parked it. And he's got on the bus. He sat by this man. And the man looked looked poor. And, and he said, you okay? And he said, no, not really. I lost my job and, and everything. And I've got three kids and I, I actually have $4.32 to my name. And the guy said, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's Thanksgiving. I have a turkey right here that I get every year at my firm and I never eat it. I'm going to give you this turkey. And the guy said, I can't, I can't take it. He said, yeah, yeah. He said, no, no. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll pay you for the turkey. How about if I give you my $4.32? And the guy said, well, okay. So he got off the bus and he said, I have done a really good deal. I've given this guy who has nothing a turkey. He gets back to the office on Monday and they're all snickering around and they said, how'd you like your turkey? And he went, oh, listen, the, the greatest thing happened. I met this guy on the bus. He didn't have any money. He didn't have anything. And I gave him the turkey. And boy, their eyes, and they told him what happened. And he went, that guy's going to think I did that on purpose. He's gonna, I took his last $4.32 and gave him a cardboard turkey. And he's going to think, I knew that. He said for three to four weeks in a row, he would go out at the same time, get on that same bus, and look all over for that guy, but he was never there. So you might say he tried to do a good thing, and it turned out bad. Have you ever tried to do a good thing, and it turned out bad? Well, this is what David has done. He said, you know, let's send some people over there, and let's tell them we're so sorry about their, their, you know, his dad, and we're glad he's the king. And when he gets there, they say, that guy, they're spying us out. They're spying us out. They're, they're not coming over here to do good. So look at the next verse, verse 4. So Hanan took David's servants and shaved off half their beards and cut off their garments in the middle as far as their hips and sent them away. Now, this is a bad thing. Let's just face it. It's a bad thing. Look what they did. They shaved off half their beard and cut their clothes up to their hips. You know what I'm talking about. They, have, they just cut them off so you could see their, their booties. And I mean, he just said, and they took their beard and they shaved off half their beard. And let me tell you, for a man in that time, they all had beards. And to have a half a beard was a total embarrassment. 
Because what you probably normally have to do is if they shaved off half your beard, you probably either gonna, you got to shave off the other half if you're going to be around people. And then you're embarrassed because you don't have a beard or you want to be embarrassed because you have a half a beard. And so it was very embarrassing. And so they made fun of David's servants. So Hanun, verse 4, took David's servants, shaved off half their beards, cut off their garments in the middle as far as their hips, and sent them away. Whoa, this is really bad. David was doing a good thing. Now it's become a bad thing. So watch what happens. When they told it to David, he sent them, he sent to greet them, for the men were greatly humiliated. And the king said, you stay at Jerusalem, uh, stay at Jericho until your beard grows and then returns. They sent him clothes, I'm sure, but you can't do anything about the beards. And so he said, you just stay in Jericho, that city right on the, on the, on the river, and stay there until your beard grows back out and then come back. Because we don't want you to come back and be embarrassed right now. All you were doing was a good thing. Well, guess what happened? The Ammonites realized, I think we messed up. We should not have done that. David is fairly strong. David's army is fairly strong. And here we have embarrassed his people. So look what happens, verse 6. When the sons of Ammon saw that they had become odious, they stunk to David. The sons of Ammon sent and hired the Arameans of beth and the Arameans of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers, and the king of Machah with 1,000 men, and the men of Tob with 12,000 men. So they realize they're in trouble, and so they go out and they get help. They call the Arameans. Sometimes they're called Syrians. They've come and got them. They've gone to three or four cities. they got 20,000 in one place, 12,000 in one place, 1,000 in another place, and they said, we need your help. David's fixing to come get us. They've got like 30, 33,000 people now to help them fight. And, and let me just say something about mercenaries. When you go hire people to come fight, listen, when you're fighting for your home, you'll, you'll fight to the end. You're fighting for somebody else's home, you won't fight to the end. Because you say, look, I'm just getting money for this, but it's not worth my life. Well, then why did you take the money? Well, I thought it'd be easy. But it's not. And so, and let me just throw this map up. Look, you can see, so here's the Ammonites. The capital of, of the Ammonites was Rabbath. It's called Rabbath Ammon, Ammonites today. It's Ammon, Jordan is the capital of, of that city. That city right there, the city we're going to see the war is about is, is the modern-day capital of Jordan, Ammon, Jordan. And here's those places all here, 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 here. They, they went and got these people, and so they've got 33,000 soldiers to come help them against David. That's what they think. So look at verse 7. Uh, when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the army, the mighty men, and the sons of Ammon came out and drew up battle array at the entrance of the city, while the Arameans of Zobah and of Rehob and of Tob and Makkah, they were by themselves in the field. Now here's what happened. So David said, Joab, who's now the general, remember Joab is David's nephew. He says, take an army and go get them. And so they get there, and what's happened is the Ammonites have come out of the front of their city it's a walled city. They've come out with their army. And then back over here, the Arameans have come with their army. And so when you line it all up, Joab looks around and he says, enemy's back here and the enemy's right here, which doesn't look real good. And so you've got the Ammonites at the city and the Arameans in the field. And so look what happened. It says they drew up, get ready for battle. And here's what Joab does. When Joab saw that the battle was set against him in the front and in the rear... He selected from all the choice men of Israel and arrayed them against the Arameans. He took some of his main soldiers and said, you go fight the Arameans back there. The remainder of the people he placed in the hand of 
Abishai, his brother. You remember? He has a brother, Abishai, Joab, and Abishai. They're both nephews of King David. And he took and placed them in the hand of Abishai, his brother, and he arrayed them against the son of Ammon. So here's what he says. He says, Abishai, you take men, and you go, in, go fight the city. I'll take men, and we'll fight the Arameans in the back. And they're going to get ready to fight. Now, I want you to see the teamwork. Look what happens in verse 11. And he said, he says to his brother, if the Arameans are too strong for me, then you shall come help me. But if the sons of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. So be strong. Let's show ourselves courageous for the sake of our people and for the cities of God. And may the Lord do what is right or what is good in his sight. We know that whenever the nation of Israel is fighting and is, is in fellowship with God and doing what's right, they always win. And when they're not in fellowship, they lose. We know that they're, I think they're in fellowship, they're doing what's right, and so they're going to go win. And so, but you see the teamwork, and I think this is a key. And when you think about our lives as believers, uh, think about the body of Christ. We are in a spiritual battle together. It's not against flesh and blood, but it's a spiritual battle. And we have to work together. Some people think about the, what they call the long ranger Christian life. They just think, I'm a Christian, I do my own thing, I really don't need anybody else, I just kind of do my own thing. The Bible never sets it up that way. The, the, the Word of God never talks about church being that way. In fact, it all says that we come together with our different gifts, talents, abilities, and we serve one another and serve together. Uh, that's why some people will say things like, oh, I don't need to go to church. I don't have to go to church. You don't have to go to church, but you're missing out on the fellowship, and you're missing out on the unity and the different gifts, talents, and abilities working together within the body. So I want to talk about it for just a second. There's one body with many members. Just like, and Paul said that. He's talked about it. And he says, we got a human body and the human body is one big body, but it's got all these different parts to it. He said, the body of Christ is the same way. The head is Christ and there's this body and there's the eyes and ears and noses and everything else. And he says, they're all different parts using together, being used together for the glory of God. Look at this verse. As each one has received a gift, employ it. He's talking to Peter writes and says, every one of us have spiritual gifts. As each one has received a special gift or a gift, employ it in serving one another. In other words, use it to serve one another. Now, every one of us in this room that know Jesus Christ as Savior, if you've trusted in Christ for eternal life, you have at least one spiritual gift. You may have more than one spiritual gift. You may have two or three different spiritual gifts. He says that as you've received gifts, then you use those gifts to serve one another. That's how the body works. It's a teamwork. It's a plan that some people teach, some people do something else, some people do this, something. We all together so that the body can be built up and to grow. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7, it says, but to each one, every believer is given the manifestation of the Spirit. What for? For the common good so that all of us benefit when we all use our gifts, talents, and abilities. Part of the problem is so many believers not only donate, they don't know their gift or gifts, and they don't serve. When we serve, when we connect, when we do that, the body can grow. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 12, 18. But now God has placed the members, that's you, that's us, each one of them in the body just as he desired. What spiritual gifts you have is exactly what God wanted you to have. He's given you those gifts. And he says, I want you to work together. I want you to come together as believers and encourage one another for love and good works and to use your gifts and talents to equip the believers to do the ministry so the body of Christ can be built up so that we can grow and all of those things can happen. And so you've got to be, remember that you are vital. 
See, some Christians think it doesn't matter whether I ever come or not. It doesn't matter whether I ever serve or not. It doesn't matter. It matters. It's like having something wrong with your thumb, and you say, well, the thumb's little. It's not a big deal. But then all of a sudden, you realize you can't pick up anything. It hurts all the time. And you say, that's just my thumb. You know, and he says, see, every person counts and is vital. Look at this right here. This is uh, Ephesians 4.16. It says, the whole body is fitted and held together by its every joint supplies. Now watch this. According to the proper working of each individual part. That means each one of you does what you're supposed to do based on your gifts. And then what happens? When it's the proper working of each individual part, what does it do? It causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We make a difference. You make a difference when we all serve together, when we all use our spiritual gifts, when we're all equipping each other to do ministry. It touches lives forever and makes a difference, and we grow spiritually. And so here's what we do. All of us have gifts. You may have one gift. You may have more than one gift. We're to use our gifts to serve God and to serve others, and the body functions as we serve together. The body is not functioning to the top that it should be because so many believers aren't serving at all. They don't even know their gifts and they don't use their gifts. If you've got a question about gifts, we have a quick spiritual gift inventory deal that you can, it's on, it's on the website and you can also come get it in the office. And I mean, it's not going to say this is your spiritual gift, but as you fill it all out, it'll say this seems to be areas of your strengths. And then you can look at that and decide. So if you're wondering, come, come by the office or go on the, on the website and just go into resources and it has it there. And so that's what we do. And so in the same way, we work together. Boy, they're working together. And here Joab says, my brother, Abishai, you go that way, take your soldiers. I'll go this way, take my soldiers. If they're too big for me, you come. If they're too big for you, I'll come that way. That's the plan. And so they're working together. And he says, be strong and let's fight for the Lord. Verse 13. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near to the battle against the Arameans, and they fled before him. So Joab went and fought the Arameans, and the Arameans ran off. You know why? It's not their home. They're just getting paid. When it really going got tough, they ran off. And then look, verse 14. When the sons of Ammon, and, and by the way, let me put this up. Uh, Joab defeated the Arameans, and then when the sons of Ammon saw the Arameans run off, they also fled before Abishai, and they went back into the city. So they ran back into the city and shut the big gates. Then Joab returned from fighting against the sons of Ammon and came to Jerusalem. So that first battle is over. And the Ammonites, when they saw Joab's victory, they went back into the city. So here's what happened. Joab defeated the Arameans. They ran off. When the Ammonites saw that, Abishai ran them back in, and they shut the city. Now, they haven't taken the city yet. It's a big city. It's going to take a while to defeat the Ammonites in their, in their big city. And we'll see what happens. You think, well, I'm glad that's over. It's not over. Look at the next verse, verse 15. When the Arameans saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they gathered themselves together again. They're ready to go. We're going to go fight another battle. You think, have you all not learned your lesson? The Arameans are coming back. And Hadadezer sent and brought out the, uh, out the Arameans who were beyond the river, and they came to Helam, and they came, and Shobai, the commander of the army of Hadadezer, led them. And, and so this guy named Shobai is going to be the general. Now watch what happens. When it was told David, 
He gathered all Israel together and crossed the Jordan and came to Helam, and the Arameans arrayed themselves to meet David and fought against him. Look, David said, hey, y'all be the ones having all the fun in the battle. I'm going this time. I'm going this time to fight the Arameans. Remember, David is a great warrior. When David was 14 years old or 15 years old, he killed Goliath. He was called the man who killed his 10,000s. He's a famous warrior. And here he let Joab go fight that fight. And now the Arameans have come back and David says, I'm going this time. I'm going. And so they arrayed themselves against the Arameans. And look what happened. And the Arameans fled before Israel. And David killed 700 charioteers of the Arameans and 40,000 horsemen and struck down Shoab, Shoab, uh, back the commander of the army, he died there. So David killed their general, and they defeated them, and they all ran off again. And then it says, when the kings and the servants of Hadadazer saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. So the Arameans feared to help the sons of Ammon anymore. When the battle's older, the, the Arameans basically said, we'll be servants of Israel. And that's what they are. And if you remember that map, they're the ones up at the top. Who's left? Well, in this little thing, who's left is the Ammonites because they ran into the city and shut the big door. And they're saying, maybe they won't come get us. But they will. Jews are going to come after them. And they made peace and they surrendered and they became servants of the Israelites. Let me just tell you something. When David defeated the Arameans and they came back to Jerusalem, the plan is to go and defeat the Ammonites, that's the plan. Listen to this. This is chapter 11, verse 1. Then it happened in the spring, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbath. He just gives you a summary. They went, Joab, he sent Joab to defeat the Ammonites. But... David stayed at Jerusalem. They should have gone to battle. This next chapter we're going to see next week. One of the saddest chapters in the whole Bible. Because David, instead of going to fight, stays home. They're going to go get the Ammonites, and they're going to get them, and Joab's going to be the one to get them, but David's going to stay home. And if you read ahead... You'll find out what happens if you don't already know. And it's the saddest, I think, one of the saddest chapters in the whole Bible. And if you remember, the original handout that I gave you, chapters 1 through 10, David in triumph. Chapters 11 through the end of the book, David in trouble. And it's going to start right here. And things will never be the same for David after this. Never the same. And so what we could say to David, David, when it's time to go out to fight, by the way, and it says here, when it happened in the spring, when it's time to go out to battle, they fought in the spring. They didn't fight in the winter. It's too cold. They just said, we're not fighting in the winter. When it gets good weather, we'll go fight. And when they went to go fight, David should have gone. And we see what happens next time. Wow. Well, some good stuff. Think of this. Let's realize that sometimes we're going to be misunderstood. David tried to do a good thing. He tried to send to that king and say, I'm so sorry about your dad, and we're here for you. And they said, no, no, you're just trying to get us, and you can't please everyone, and you can. And sometimes you can try, and you can try to do something that's right, and it may go wrong, it may be misunderstood. Sometimes your motive and your actions, sometimes your actions are good, and people question your motives, and there's no way for them to question their motive, your motives. Nobody can know your motives. Only you and God know your motives. 
And so people sometimes question your motives. And they say, well, you just did that because of this. And you say, you don't even know me. How could you say that? So sometimes think we'll be misunderstood. Second, let's work together in the body of Christ. You've got gifts. Take your gifts and talents and abilities and use them to serve God and others. And if you're not really serving, if you're not plugged in, if you're not taking the gifts, talents, and abilities you have and you're helping others, then start doing it. And if you say, well, I'm not even sure what my gifts are, we'll help you. Go to the thing, come to the office, we'll meet with you, we'll help you figure out where you can plug in and where you can, be, you can serve God and be served as we grow as believers. And the third thing is just remember that God gives the victory, great victories, but God is always the one who gives the victory. You could say to the Jewish people, y'all did it, and he said, yeah, but it was God who did it through us. And if we're going to have victory in the Christian life, it's not us. We don't say, I did it. We say, God worked through me. Walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I always say that the Christian life is a walk of faith in the power of the Holy Spirit based on the Word of God. It is God through you. That's how you have the victory.